Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Time now for the balloon party on the Tim McKernan podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Yes, yes. Welcome in. It's Balloon Party, driven by Munganas, St. Louis, Acura, and Alton Toyota. Tim McKernan, Action Jackson with you here on the radio program. It's a program that solicits your involvement by texting into the Air Comfort Service text line. Uh, 314-399-9646. Jackson, we have so much to get to. I just don't have time. I just don't have the time to, to give it all that I need to give it, so I got to give it to you as quickly as I can give it to you. Are you with me? I'm ready, Tim. All right, then let's start off with what you have for me. What is your lead today? Uh, the lead, I think, I mean, if you had to chalk it up. What do the most people in the St. Louis area care about at this exact moment? That is how you determine the lead. What is the lead? The lead, the lead, the lead. I think we would be remiss to say it's anything but... St. Louis City SC, the dogs, going 5-0 and to start the season, top of the table, another clean sheet, a 4-0 win on, uh, on Saturday evening. Wow, wow, wow. Jackson says doggies. I have people now DMing me when they're sitting at a cocktail lounge or sitting at home, and they send me the chant of, watch this, defense, doggies, defense, defense, doggies, defense. Yep. And uh, it's another clean sheet, as you mentioned, Jackson. What are your queries in the Little Piddles wild weekend wrap-up? Oh, this is the Little Piddles tidy little weekend wrap-up. Oh. It's a real tidy little wrap-up. Woof, 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 woof. These dogs, man. A resounding victory on Saturday over Real Salt Lake. Now they sit 5-0, and top of the table, and winning both in comeback and blowout fashions. How do you think the rest of the league is reacting to this first-year team that is not only winning, but looking super impressive while doing it? I think it went initially from, oh, wow, what a surprise in Austin in Week 1, to, man, look at that atmosphere in St. Louis in Week 2, to, huh, that was interesting they got another win in week three to holy crap they beat the hell out of san jose in week four and then in week five i think the eyes of the soccer world who monitor mls were going okay let's see what they do in in what is known as a tough place to play in real salt lake and oh my goodness jackson just like the first seven minutes against the boston bruins Let me take you back to June of 2019 when Jordan Bennington and the St. Louis Blues were under fire just trying to withstand that initial rush from the Boston Bruins in Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final. Roman Berkey and the Dogs defense under fire at the end of the first half. Just domination by Real Salt Lake and they withstood it. And sure enough, They went back to the locker room and they said, boys, 
if we can handle that, we can handle anything. Why don't we put a four spot on them in the second half? And that's exactly what they did. And now the rumblings around the league turn to holy crap. Not only do we have an expansion team in St. Louis, we've got a new style of play that is working. And these dogs are for real. Absolutely. Yeah, this is unprecedented. And uh, you, you love to watch the high energy, fast pace style in which they play. You just, you know, if they, is it sustainable for an entire season? You hope so. You sure hope so. But I feel eventually uh, there'll be some slip ups with that aggressive style. But you love to see it. It's more fun to watch than anything is when they're just going all out. And it's really fun. I really enjoy watching it. I- I uh I, I want to uh, you you call this show the little piddle show but you also call it honesty and media right absolutely let me go open kimono you like that term open kimono yeah big fan uh we're just gonna be here we're gonna put it all out on the table here it is I'm gonna open up my robe to the audience and I know this is what the audience has been waiting for here you go I really enjoy the game of soccer however I recognize that a lot of people. Uh, are way more into it than I am. And I think similar to other sports where you have people who are super passionate about um, a particular sport, kind of like with music when when a, a band is a bit obscure and then they cross over to mainstream. Some of their original fans don't necessarily like it that now it's getting played on a pop station or something along those lines. You follow me on that, Jackson? Yeah, absolutely. You've, you've probably seen that over the course of oh, yeah. time in, in, in music. That with regards to soccer, I have always really enjoyed the game, but I also recognize there are are fan groups and fans of the game who are way more passionate about it than I am. But in order for a game to grow and crowds to grow, you have to bring the casual fans in. So for the purpose of being honest, and again, uh, just laying it on the line on the show, I recognize that uh, my soccer knowledge in comparison to many of those who have been following it for years is is remedial by comparison. However, uh, I consider it my responsibility doing what I do for a living for you know two decades on TMA and uh, now with uh, an hour on 101 ESPN to learn more about it. So over the weekend, I was texting with some people who I certainly consider their soccer knowledge uh, and passion for the game is way up there. And I said, now let me ask you this. Now that it's gotten to this point, now that they're 5-0 and and they're setting records and they're making history and it's gone from cute little story to, you know, what what is historical, what is your opinion? And to a man, this was this was four different people, uh, they were saying, no, they, they are legitimate. They have a style that if they get up is really difficult to come back from. And that's what we've seen over the last couple of weeks. But in addition to that, there's some real talent there. Now, we always have to qualify it when we're talking MLS versus take your pick of really almost any other league, right. the leagues anyway, that get attention around the world, that that doesn't mean that uh, STL City could go up against take your pick of whomever in the Premier League and hang. But in the MLS, you see what they're doing. And they're not just winning these games now. They're dominating these games. And so when I was watching the, the, the broadcast on Saturday night, Jackson, and the lead broadcaster was talking about how uh, Real Salt Lake is known for being such a tough place to play, it spoke volumes that after the game, um, Carnell was saying, you know, he was asked, he goes, what was it like to clear out a stadium? And he goes, well, I haven't been a coach that long to really speak to it. Uh, you know, I'm focused on the attention there uh, of what's going on in the field and mm-hmm. not what's going on in the stands. But they cleared that building out. 
they cleared that building out. And keep in mind, not only are they 5-0, and three of these wins have been on the road. Uh, it's not like the teams they've gone up against are winless teams. I, if I'm not mistaken, every team they've played at least has one win. Some have only played four games. A couple of them have two wins. And then you get to come home and you truly have a world-class atmosphere. And that's what you will have again this coming Saturday. Even if the team were one and four, I still think it would be a world-class atmosphere on Saturday. But now that they're five and zero, oh, and they play this exciting kind of all-out style, I think it adds to it to a whole nother level because people were going to those games, not because they're like, man, we've got a great team. They were going because they were excited about having a local team. And now you have a 5-0 and o team with that kind of atmosphere. The weather is going to be infinitely better than it was two weeks ago against, or I guess at this point, nine days ago against San Jose. You're going to have a hell of an atmosphere along with the team that's 5-0. and o. It's, it's now gone from just about an expansion team to the great atmosphere to having a damn good team. And so there are, and, and now Roman Berkey makes that save right before halftime. Now you got people talking about him in addition to Klaus with another goal. It's all firing on all cylinders. It couldn't be going better for the dogs. Couldn't agree more, Tim. Absolutely. It was, uh, it was great to see. And I'm excited to see the atmosphere once the weather kind of warms up. I really want to go to a game and I can't wait to go to my first one. Now, it pains me to make this the second lead because I would love it to be oh the NCAA tournament. Oh, my God. What do we have here? What do we have here? But I feel like with opening day on Thursday, the 26-man roster released, I feel like the second lead would be the St. Louis baseball Cardinals. Now, why does it pain you that the Cardinals... Well, I love the Cardinals. I don't think that's uh, any debate, but, you know, going... But, but, but you you wanted to make, what, San Diego State the the second story? Uh, just, you know, I got I got, I got tournament takes. Uh, I would like, you know, ideally the Monday after the Elite Eight uh, would be just the perfect little... Uh, little secondary lead, well, but it's maybe not. Maybe you ought to do something called the Piddles Podcast where you can just talk hoop rock the whole time. Oh, wow. What a life that would be. Um, <laughs> the uh, I'll go with the Cardinals, though. Uh, where do you think the Cardinal fan base is in terms of optimism and excitement for the upcoming season? I feel that you know they got the the shiny lights of Jordan Walker or Lars Newbar, some other young players, uh, keeping them excited. Meanwhile, the rotation is most likely one injury away from total chaos. Where do you think fans' heads are currently at? I think at this time of year, almost all around baseball teams who have decided that they are going to compete, so you, you can cross out a few teams in the National League Central, a few teams in the National League East, that there is optimism. That is just the nature of the beast, even if your team lost 24-1 to 1 within the last 24 hours. It's just the way that it works. I don't think people are, uh, and by people, I am talking about the casual fan, the casual fan who has tickets Thursday or has taken the afternoon off to be able to watch the Cardinals and Blue Jays Thursday are breaking down the roster selection of Packy Naughton and, you know, who's going to face a left-hander in the seventh inning. And, you know, what about Jake Woodford? Is that slider success going to carry over into, into regular season games like it did in spring training? That's not the casual fan. I wouldn't necessarily be the casual fan. I would be more of the hardcore baseball nerd. And from my standpoint, you know, Ali Marmol has the Cardinal lineup out for today's game in Sarasota against the Orioles. And I believe this is a peak as to what the lineup is going to look like for Thursday. Uh, Jackson, 
my expectation is what you see on the field today against the Orioles is a preview of what you're going to see Thursday against the Blue Jays. And that lineup is Donovan. It's second, Newt Bar in left, not right, in left, Goldschmidt first, Arnato third, Contreras, catcher, O'Neill center, Gorman, DH, Walker hitting eighth in right, and Tommy Edmond at short. On paper, on paper, I read that lineup and I go, it can be a lineup that does not have a weak spot. It isn't a lineup that on paper, I want to emphasize this because you don't know how things will play out and what people's health will be. But on paper, you go, okay, they got O'Neill out to end the inning. They got to deal with Gordon Walker, Edmund. And if the Cardinals turn the lineup over, there's Donovan and Newt Bar at the top of the order setting the table for Goldschmidt, Arenado, and Contreras. That is a hell of a lineup. On paper, again, on paper. You could have said this about the lineup last year and we saw how it played out when they would have to go up against quality pitching. Uh, so with that all said, From an offensive standpoint, I am hopeful that we finally see the Cardinal offense have some success, not just against the the randoms that they will face over the course of the season, and there are plenty of them in Major League Baseball this year, teams not really competing, but also against the quality pitching that inevitably you will have to face in the postseason. But... The other side of the coin is just how leveraged the team is when it comes to its starting staff. Not only do you have Wainwright going on the LIL late, late last week, Jackson, but you have Jack Flaherty having another questionable start. Yep. And when we talk with people nationally, and Buster Only was a guest of this show on Friday, there's so much focus on Jack Flaherty. I really don't know why. As, as to whether or not he's a key to the Cardinals' success this year, I really don't know. I don't know if it's just like, okay, i got to write a column or do a podcast, so i got to come up with a take. Because I don't view Jack Flaherty as a guy who, if, if he is not successful, the Cardinals can't be successful because he really hasn't been successful consistently for a few years now. So I don't really know why he is contingent on the Cardinals' success and why that's getting that attention. But... When you only have five guys who you feel good about, maybe you don't even have five. Maybe you have four. Maybe you have three if you're not bullish on Steven Matz uh, and you're you know, carrying over the hope that Adam Wainwright can refine what he found for the first five months last year and not what he had at the end of the year, that you go, man, this team is an injury away from having anarchy in the starting rotation. And that's the kind of thing that can really cause problems, even if your offense is firing on all cylinders. So I think casual fan, super excited, hardcore baseball fan wondering what the Cardinals have uh, when it comes to pitching and worried how that could impact them throughout the course of the year. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I don't don't think their success is hinging on Flaherty's success, but if he is successful, I think that's the X factor that could drive, you know, if you have somebody like that in your rotation along with Miles Michaelis. And sure. I mean, that'd be incredible if you have that. I just, I, but he, he just hasn't been that guy right. for a while. And, you know, you can write things off about, well, he's working on this in spring or he's working on that. And I understand that. And listen, I am hopeful that he returns to even 80% of his form, but he has a shoulder injury. Those don't just miraculously go away for anybody. And even if you, if you do have surgery, you don't know how you're going to come back from it, but he hasn't had, and you don't know how he's going to come back. And, you know, he got roughed up and he continues to get roughed up. Now, maybe he comes out on Saturday against the Blue Jays and he deals. And that would be a wonderful thing. But I view Flaherty more in the windfall category, not necessity. If Nolan Arenado has a bad year, which really has not happened in his career, but if he has a bad year, that's a hell of a lot more impactful than whether or not Jack Flaherty 
has a bad year. That's where I'm coming from on that. All right, I know we got to take a break. It is 1018 in St. Louis. You are listening to Balloon Party on 101 ESPN. Coming back, Jackson, we will get into the NCAA tournament. We're not going to necessarily break down what has to be the weakest Final Four in the history of college basketball. Uh, We are going to get into the way one of the games was decided this weekend and why I worship at the altar of one of the broadcasters who got into uh, a discussion following the game that I thought was perfect and right on point and speaks to why he is so beloved. We'll have that clip for you, those clips for you, coming up on the other side of the break. This is Balloon Party, driven by Mugganess, St. Louis Acura on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome back. This is Munganass St. Louis Acura and Alton Toyota's Balloon Party on 101 ESPN. My name is Tim McKernan. That is Action Jackson. And we welcome your participation in the show. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. And listen and podcast on the 101 ESPN app. And you can also leave a mic drop that way as well. Jackson, your characterization of the final four that includes Florida Atlantic, Miami, Florida, Yukon, and San Diego State. Uh not great. Not what you uh not what you wanted really at the beginning of the tournament, but it's how the cookie crumbles, man. That's why March Madness is what it is. It's total parody and this year more so than ever we have seen uh an absolute I wouldn't I don't want to say like craziness, but it's been nuts to see a team like FAU, who's a nine seed, uh, now playing for the Final Four in Houston. UConn is a minus 125 favorite to win the whole thing. The other side of the spectrum is Florida Atlantic. They are plus 600 to win it. Uh, Yesterday, Jackson, I was watching the final moments of San Diego State and Creighton. Tie ball game, San Diego State with the ball after a turnover, gifted Creighton the game-tying basket. Uh, really surprising play, fundamentally, to allow that to happen, but it speaks to the pressure of, of the month of March. Mm-hmm. And San Diego State driving to the basket, 1.2 seconds left, and a foul was called. Now, I, we just, Jackson and I discussed this on TMA, for those of you uh, just uh, tuning into the program and did not hear TMA and Jackson is of the opinion that it was a foul. Um, I'm not saying that it was or wasn't a foul. The way I judge something like that, that is certainly, I think we would both agree it's it, it would fall in the under the umbrella of questionable. Or would you not agree? With that? I don't want to put words in your mouth. Uh, it's a it's a close. It's a either way. It's a 50 50 okay. call. All right. So 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 if you have something like that, what I want it to be is consistent with the way that the game was called, and it's not the way that the game had been called. And so I was really surprised that the foul was called. Either way, the foul was called. Uh, the San Diego State player hits one of two free throws. So at that point, uh, San Diego State is 1.2 seconds away from going to the Final Four. Creighton throws a Hail Mary ball, gets tipped, and then they wind up debating whether or not there was any time left on the clock and or who had the ball. If they did, at the most, there would be three-tenths of a second. They decided via a stopwatch, because the clock did not start when the ball was touched, that the game was over and San Diego State would indeed advance to its first ever Final Four. They go back to the studio show following the game on CBS, and you have Greg Gumbel. You have Clark Kellogg, you have Jay Wright, you have Kenny Smith, and you have Charles Barkley. 
And I would say, Jackson, they spent about five minutes not on whether or not the foul was a foul that led to the free throw that decided the game with 1.2 seconds left, but about this Hail Mary and whether or not there would have been time on the clock and whose ball would have been. And I'm sitting there, I'm watching this as a as a fan, no, no emotional investment or financial investment either way, but just somebody who's watching the game and was really surprised by that call that decided the game. And I'm thinking to myself, how in the world are they spending time on this, especially when you have Gene Steratore, who's an officiating commenter on this. And then finally, the voice of reason appears in that voice of reason, Charles Barkley. That happened to be too tenths of a second, which we dissect now so clearly right. that he could have been two tenths hey, of a second. Coach, forget like, what those guys asked you. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, he's well, an official. He's not a coach. Well, he's an official. Let's talk do to, that to him. We're we not going to then worry about .2 seconds. What about the foul call? Listen, we can sit and dissect a bunch of plays every day, Charles, and, and, and throughout every game. And we do. Everybody does. Uh, you have to – it's an angle play. We can see the official that's inbounding on this play, the trail official. He'll step down. He's taking the basketball. It's his primary. He's creating an angle for himself. And as he followed that play in, he's the one who posts the foul. In his opinion, he felt like that left hand had displaced that shooter to a place that affected his shot. That's his judgment. That's why he's in this game. That's the decision that he made based on the angle that he had. And it was the right and call. And then we can contemplate yeah, that. But it was the you right call. You can say it's not big yeah. enough because in this game we're yeah, supposed no, to no. swallow the whistle. We can Airborne have those shooter. conversations yeah. for the rest of the week and the on into in next air, week. It doesn't take much contact to create right. a foul. Let me tell you something. Next time I get in an argument with my wife, I want Clark Kellogg there to defend me because he <laughs> – he will he will do his work. Uh, I don't know why he was interrupting. It was a foul, was a foul, but whatever. And that speaks to why I love Barkley, who it just so happened, and it was a coincidence that CBS uh, had a, a special feature on 60 Minutes last night on Charles Barkley and his career, specifically more so as a broadcaster than as a player uh, with the Sixers and Suns more memorably than his time, for example, with the Rockets. Uh, and here is how Charles Barkley explained why uh, he thinks he has had success as a broadcaster. And then it will circle back to what we were just talking about with the call on San Diego State and Creighton. Charles Barkley is an NBA Hall of Famer who, in retirement... Yeah, I only think that because they suck. <laughs> ...ended up rebounding into a job that has made him one of the most successful and colorful sports analysts ever. Yes, ever. Why do you suppose people want to listen to you? I think they know that I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be fair. I don't have a hidden agenda. Not many people on TV that you can set out about. I think that sums it up so perfectly. As I was watching specifically, Jackson, that postgame. And again, mm -hmm. I, 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 I could not care any less who won that game. I didn't have a wager on it. I have zero rooting interest for Creighton or San Diego State. It's a tie game with the clock ticking down. And me and anybody else who has any interest in college basketball is watching that at that moment. And you just want to see it decided on the floor. But if a, if a guy gets fouled, a guy gets fouled. But what I liked 
was that Barkley not only jumped in and kind of, I don't want to say he blew up the segment. If anything, I would say he put the segment on the right track. He's sitting there in the studio watching them talk about what is relatively speaking inconsequential, as in who got the ball with three-tenths of a second or should there have been three-tenths of a second left on the clock when you don't even have time to get the ball and shoot it. You literally have time to touch it. That is yeah. the rule. Oh, yeah. when there's three. That is the rule. So, And he goes, forget about what they're talking about. I didn't like the call. What did you think of it, Gene Steratore, since your job is to judge <laughs> officials' calls? And he goes, well, we can break down any call we want at any point. Well, no, but but that's that's wonderful. And, yes, of course, that is true. The sky is blue. But, Gene, your job is to give us your opinion on the call. What did you think? And, of course, he kind of hedged. And then Clark Kellogg is sitting there going, it was the right call. It was the right call. Well, we didn't ask you, Clark. But, but you're sitting there going, as I'm watching that, I'm going, man, CBS is carrying the water for the NCAA tournament right now because CBS is in business with the NCAA and the last thing they want to have is a final four participant decided by a blown call. So let's play this bright, shiny object game of should there be three tenths of a second and talk about that for five minutes like it matters in the slightest when the obvious lead to anybody who was watching that game, whether you had a financial or emotional investment in the game, is should that foul have been called? And so good for Charles Barkley because he doesn't have an agenda he just is speaking for the people and the people believe he's being honest and that is why he resonates that is why he has the approval rating he does even if you disagree with it you believe he is speaking honestly and i and it just so happened they had already seen a preview for that 60 minutes interview with barkley and i thought as i was watching i'm like here is exactly why people love barkley even if he is going to just go, you know what, I, I realize I'm on, on set here, but this this is not, we, we shouldn't be talking about this. We should be talking about the foul call. And he doesn't have an agenda. He wants to talk about what he thinks the people want to talk about, and that's what he did, and I appreciated it. Jackson, what do you think? Yeah, I think that's a great point on, because uh, I mean, we, we often discuss, you know, what's the lead today? We did it literally the last segment. And you know, sometimes it's a debatable thing. Is it this? Is it that? At the end of that game, there was no debate on what the lead story was following that game. It was most certainly that foul call that basically decided the game. And to not discuss that when you have your officiating analyst on in studio is ludicrous. It truly is. There's no reason they should be talking about, like you said, a full court three-tenth of a second. That that means nothing. What what mattered was the foul call, and right or wrong, it should be discussed, even, you know, even if it makes the NCAA look bad. You know, people are human. Mistakes are made. But you gotta discuss it. You can't just blow right past it. And I I wonder if Barkley wouldn't have brought it up if it ever comes up, you know? I, 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 I was thinking the same thing as I was watching it, Jackson. Um, I could, I for real, I'm like, I rarely, I don't know how long, how many times at this point, when especially when you have no emotional investment, mm-hmm. if it's a, a Cardinals, Blues, Battle Hawks, Dogs, Missouri, SLU, Illinois, whatever local team that you're emotionally invested to, the pre and post game show, I get it. I totally get it. And those I do stick around for. But on this, I have no rooting interest. But I can't wait to see what they talk about, not what they talk about, what they say regarding that foul call. And they come back, and, and I think Greg Gumbel said, well, let's get right to it. Uh, we have Gene Steratore here, and I'm like, okay, good, you know, go. logically. Yeah. But instead, they talk about the the Hail Mary pass. But I think the guy's foot was on the line, by the way, anyway. Was, but either yeah. way, it was, yeah, it was. Yeah. So they kind of blew past that because we're going to focus on how much time should have been on the clock. But we're going to have the bright, shiny object and not something that truly – 
determined the outcome of the game. It was beyond me, and I appreciate Barkley's sincerity. I do agree with him also that it is super rare. How often, I mean, I'll ask you, this is a rhetorical question, because I'm certainly not going to be uh, reading and naming names, but when you're you're watching television, whether it be news, whether it be politics, whether it be sports, whether it be whatever, the podcast, right, whatever, you're going, okay, well, this person might think this or might be saying this, but I also recognize this person, you know, gets a paycheck from this person, you know, and, and that's, it's, it's the nature of the beast. That doesn't make somebody evil, but it does color the perception mm-hmm. of what somebody is saying. That's human nature. So it is freeing to be able to go, yeah, I really don't care. You don't like it. It's fine. But here's what I really think. Now, I might be wrong. You might disagree with me, but at least you know you're getting the truth. And I think that's what Barkley has been able to do. And in that particular case, it was needed because they were absolutely missing the boat. It is 1034 in St. Louis. Tim McKernan in Action Jackson with you, BK and Ferrario at the top of the hour. When we come back, one of the, we've got a bunch of texts on our Cardinal discussion and the Flaherty topic. I want to get into that uh, coming up on the other side of the break. This is Balloon Party, driven by Munganess, St. Louis, Acura, and Alton Toyota on 101 ESPN. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're right back to the balloon party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome back. It's Balloon Party. Driven by Mugganass, St. Louis Acura, and Alton Toyota. Jeremy Rutherford going to join us here in about, oh, I'd say seven minutes. Uh, Joel Hofer has been assigned to Springfield. So uh, the magical run for Joel Hofer uh, has come to a conclusion, but I doubt it's the last time we see him here. So we'll talk about that with JR, amongst other topics, as the Blues lose a shootout last night to the Kings. Uh, Jackson, I wanted to circle back on our conversation mm-hmm. at the start of the show with, with the Jack Flaherty topic. Anytime you talk about Jack Flaherty in St. Louis, it gets he's he's one of the, it gets ridiculous amount of reaction. He's one of the most polarizing figures from from my standpoint, having done television and radio in the market since 2000, and you always say it's it's hall of hall of fame career, and yes. I agree with you, but yes. I don't want to I don't want to be the right. one to, to like initiate it. Yeah. Right? It's tough to it's tough to say that and call attention to it, especially when I'm the one who who brings it up all the time. <laughs> but but Jack Flaherty is one of the most polarizing athletes taking coaches, general managers, owners off the table that I have seen in my career, Um, especially considering in his ability and his competitiveness, one would think people would love him. But in 2021, 2022, 2023, what one tweets about can then frame the manner with which a fan base views the person. And so, therefore, those who do not like what Jack Flaherty has tweeted about pull against Jack Flaherty or frame him in a way that may not necessarily be consistent with the way Jack Flaherty actually carries himself in personal interactions, which I can speak to because I've had personal interactions with Jack Flaherty, and I would tell you he is the kind of guy you would want on your team. 
I personally couldn't care one way or the other what somebody's politics are when it comes to putting a team together. Uh, but in 2023, I recognize that that is a hot button. So with that all established, the Jack Flaherty topic immediately when I was talking about how he didn't have a great spring and how he has so much attention paid on him for whether or not the Cardinals have a successful year by national writers and podcast hosts. Um, people were texting in either criticism of Jack Flaherty, which may or may not be rooted in how he performs on the mound, but also uh, the observation, which I do think is accurate, and that is Jack Flaherty is the only one of the five who in 2023 can carry a team in the postseason like for example and i think the last time we've seen this and let me see if we're on the same page jackson the last time the cardinal had cardinals had a starter carry them through the postseason would be the 20 chris carpenter in 2011 i would say michael waka Waka in 2013 i was between the two of them yeah waka was really dominant in 13 Uh, yeah so so point being they haven't had that in a while and you look at the teams who wind up going and winning the whole thing they're the total package. I mean, you couldn't have a starter carry you through because the Cardinals got two really good starts and their two losses to the Phillies. Quintana didn't give up a run, and it's not like Miles Michaelis was bad. He gave up the home run to Harper, and the Cardinals didn't have any offense. So you got to have both things working. But with that all said, I see that. I see that reasoning. I do see that reasoning. The thing is, I just don't know, and I want to see it. Hey, let me make it clear. I want to see it. I just don't know if, if it's realistic to say Jack Flaherty as a as an ace is something that is particularly likely in 2023. It might be more wishful yeah. thinking. So that is uh, why I reject the Cardinals' success this season being contingent on Jack Flaherty. But now that uh, some of our listeners have pointed out that thought process, I get it. Um, I just don't necessarily agree with it. All right, Jeremy Rutherford is going to join us on the other side of the break. Tim McKern and Action Jackson with you. This program is called Balloon Party. It's driven by Munganass, St. Louis Acker, and Alton Toyota on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. Welcome back to 101 ESPN. Tim McKernan in action. Jackson with you. And it is our pleasure to welcome to the program for his Monday visit, ladies and gentlemen, the great Jeremy Rutherford. Good morning, Jeremy. Mr. Tim, how you doing, buddy? I'm wonderful. What's the good word? What's the good? Jackson wants to know what the good word is. He I thinks do. the good word is mm-hmm. Mavericks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's always uh, the good word with him. No, things are good. Yeah, Jackson said, you ready? We'll be up in uh, a minute and a half. And I said, yeah, that'll give me plenty of time to get my nerves out before I talk to Tim here. <laughs> Yeah, I would imagine talking to somebody of my stature, of course, I'm not talking height, has to be incredibly intimidating. Hey, by the way, you just tweeted out some news. Uh, Joel Hofer is uh, going back to Springfield, but the Blues mentioned in their release uh, that this had always been the plan. I would imagine some people are like, oh, because he had a rough outing last night. Is that the reason he's going down? That, uh, according to the Blues, is not the case. What can you tell us? Yeah, Tim just said uh, as originally planned, and, and I believe that's the case. Uh, Doug Armstrong, I go back to uh, the trade deadline, hinted that we would see Joel Hofer at some point. I think that was kind of important to get him a few games. Of course, uh, by contract and by his level of play, he's probably going to be the backup 
next year to Jordan Bennington on that one-way contract. And so get him a taste of things uh, this year, and they did that. And he had a good run here, 3-0-1. He didn't get the decision last night, even though he gave up the five goals on 17 shots. So 3-0-1, and and as we know, just uh, looked outstanding. So he's going to go back to Springfield and help that group out, try to make the playoffs and have a long playoff push like they did last year. And the one thing, you know, now fans might look at that situation last night and say, gosh, you should have sent him back after he – won a few games feeling good about himself. But what's wrong with that? What's wrong with tasting what he tasted last night? And, you know, he knew that things weren't always going to be rosy. Uh, but to have some adversity and take that into the off season after the Springfield playoff run, you know, I think will be uh, something good for him as he gets set next uh, summer uh, for the coming season. What did you think of uh, this weekend's games? We certainly got a chance to see some uh, offense in Southern California. That's for sure. Back-to-back uh, games with six goals. Uh, what stands out to you from the Blues' outpouring of offense against uh, the Kings and the Ducks? Yeah, I think the fact that uh, you know they're keeping their head in it. They're they're still playing. You know, you're talking ten games left in the season, no playoffs, and you know the team looks a lot different than it did a few weeks ago. And uh, they realize that they're trying to build something for next season. And I think the fact that, uh, you know, you never want to say that they're mailing it in, but uh, that could have been the case down the stretch here in these last 10 or 15 games. But they're fighting back. That's a tough turnaround. I know Anaheim and L.A. are right next to each other. But to win the game uh, that you should win against Anaheim and then to, to come back last night and get down quick early again like they have here a couple times lately, uh, you know, they didn't give up. You get the three unanswered in the third, the second period and, and fight back and take it all the way down to the end. So I, I think that uh, you're getting some good individual performances out of a few guys, too. Uh, Braden Shan, I think, has been a model citizen. And, and I think the newcomers, you keep seeing more and more out of Kapanen that gets you excited. So I think it's just going to give people a little bit of a glance as to what these guys could look like next year. Uh, JR, I enjoyed the column uh, on The Athletic uh, that came out over the weekend, uh, the predictions and uh, what uh, the staff got right and what the staff got wrong. You <laughs> held yourself accountable with regards to the Blues. I will allow you to expound on that. Yeah, first of all, i got, I got to give some context here. Is So you're working on stories. You know, you could be writing a David Prawn story or you could be you know, writing a Braden Shen story. And all of a sudden, you'll get a uh, message to pop up in your athletic box. And, and basically, it says, hey, we're doing bold predictions. What's your bold prediction for this upcoming season, 22-23? And I'm like, I don't know. I bold? Uh, Tarasenko resigns. So, you know, you're kind of tight for time, pressed for time. So, yeah, I'll go with that. So months and months and months ago, prior to the season, I said my bold prediction will be that Vladimir Tarasenko Resigns with the Blues. I think a lot of writers, when you do those, you know, it's, you're trying to write something that you might not even believe yourself. Of course, we've thought for a long time that he's going to be traded. But yeah, you're right. Got to hold yourself accountable. So I owned up to getting that one wrong in this piece that The Athletic just put out. <laughs> <laughs> when you look back on it at the beginning of the season, for, for the purpose of just having a let's see what we got right, let's see what we got wrong, taking it beyond the Blues resigning Tarasenko, which of course didn't wind up happening. Um, what things did wind up playing out that you thought were going to happen Perron certainly would be a, a one that a lot of people his impact uh certainly being one that a lot of people were, were concerned about before the season even started and what are some things that uh, wound up happening that you did not see coming I, I i can't imagine you saw you maybe could see the blues not making the playoffs but not necessarily a year like this i would imagine yeah, that's the that's the number one big picture. Like, no way, no way that you predict uh, the season would have played out like this for sure. You know, in terms of uh, Perron, I think that's one. 
Uh, I think he would have helped. I think his uh, influence in the locker room and, and being able to keep the team looking forward would have helped this team. You know, I've said before, I don't know that even if you have him on the roster, uh, does the defense play better? Does that, you know, that includes the forwards too. Uh, just overall, the Blues defense. I think that was one of the toughest things uh, that the Blues had to overcome this year, and they, and they never did. And uh, and I think that would have been an issue with or without Prawn probably. Uh, yeah, Doug Armstrong himself has said that you look at the top two or three, four defensemen and would you predict that they'd all have uh, this type of season um, the same year? And, you know, maybe some fans are sitting here listening saying, yeah, I'm not high on this D and I don't like the way it's constructed and they're missing a lot of stuff that you need in the NHL on, on the blue line and they don't have it and it needs to be reworked. I get it, but I think uh, even if this group had played up to its level that it has in the past, it could have been better, and it just wasn't there. And You know, then otherwise, I think the special teams, you lose Jim Montgomery. He was so good on that PK. He goes to Boston and shows what he can do behind the bench as a head coach, but I think he was a big influence not only on his unit, the PK, but uh, within the locker room. I did that story on the Russians where he had that text thread with all the Blues Russian players and just keeping everybody yeah. – loose and, and moving forward. So uh, I think that's something that you, you looked at at the beginning of the season. That's going to be tough to replace, and that wound up being the case. Yeah, speaking of uh, Montgomery and replacing him and, and whether or not that was a huge moment or not, who knows, but you knew he was going to move on at some point once he uh, had his stint as an assistant with the Blues. The Bruins clinched their division. And just to give some context as to what Montgomery and the Bruins have done this year, if the Maple Leafs were in the central, they would be in first place by four points. But since they're in the same division with the Bruins, they are 22 points back <laughs> of first place Boston. I mean, I don't I mean, this is this is otherworldly what Jim Montgomery and the Boston Bruins are doing. The current number with nine games left, 57, 11, and 5, 119 points. Uh, the second best in the league is 103 with the Hurricanes. Um, give me some historical context on the Boston Bruins and uh, what your expectations are when the playoffs get started. Yeah, just amazing. I mean, it's a juggernaut what he's got going right now. It's really no surprise uh, just based on the people that you talk to who have played for him, who just love the relationship and what he does with them. Uh, I remember talking to Jim Montgomery. It was early this season. The Blues were getting ready to play in Boston, and I had a chance to talk to talk on the phone with him. And he said, you know, he had some other opportunities. And he didn't say this, but I think Chicago, I think Winnipeg, there were some other clubs. And all of a sudden, Boston surprisingly popped open, and he said, oh, my gosh, original six. I could coach that team. And, and it was a good fit, uh, not only for Boston, but for Jim Montgomery as well. And, and, Tim, I just give him all the credit in the world. When the Blues hired him as an assistant coach, he was coming out of that situation with Dallas when he was let go. And uh, he just really owned up to everything, and he put his head down, and he went to work. And give the Blues some credit, too, uh, for giving him that opportunity. Tom Stillman, Doug Armstrong, they both said that uh, they believe in the second chances. Uh, for somebody like Jim there, and uh, he made the most of it. And uh, you never know how things are going to unfold. And so when that Boston thing popped open, he really walked into a good roster, good situation, uh, but he, he's really got them playing well. So after this long regular season, you always wonder about, you know, peaking the whole year, what's it going to look like in the playoffs? But I think they added some, some more pieces at the trade deadline, and they uh, you just don't see any holes. You look at that whole lineup and you say, okay, where's the holes? And, and so I think uh, they have to be – just about in everybody's top two in terms of who's going to win the Stanley Cup. Those Eastern Conference playoffs are an absolute gauntlet 
when you take yeah. a look at uh, what's what's lurking out there. I can't wait to uh, to watch that as we will have some of uh, the former Blues certainly involved both on the ice in the case of Montgomery behind the bench. JR, always enjoy the conversation, sir. Thank you so much for your time this morning. All right, Timmy. Yeah, somebody your stature, the nerves uh, went away eventually. So thanks for making it so easy on me here. Thank you, and also thank you for acknowledging uh, the fact that I am now 6'4 with these new lifts. That's Jeremy Rutherford with us here on 101 ESPN. Time for us to shut it down. BK and Ferrari are up next with Action Jackson. I'm Tim McKernan. This has been Balloon Party, driven by Munganas, St. Louis, Acura, and Alton Toyota on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.